<clears throat> we're walking through um, this, this month, or actually this summer, the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So three chapters, 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the biographies of Jesus. So the Sermon on the Mount, the thing that makes it unique, is uh, basically, in very concise, just three chapters, outlines the teachings of Jesus and how we should actually live. So you could kind of say that the cliff notes of the whole Bible in terms of what God wants from us is contained in Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus pretty much lays out, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Now a lot of times, we've been talking about this a lot lately, but it's really important that everybody understands. Uh, in, in this culture, it, in some um, Christian circles and cultural circles... Being a Christian has been kind of reduced to believing certain things. So sometimes we're tempted to just say, okay, do I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that there was a Jesus, that he died on the cross for sin, uh, and that he rose from the dead? And if I can believe that, then yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, I believe that I'm a Christian. But the problem is that Jesus uh, called for more than that. Jesus called for followers who would actually live out his lifestyle. In Matthew 14, Jesus says, consider the cost. He's not just talking about believing right stuff. There's no real cost in that. He's like, think about it. Are you willing to commit to this? Because of that, this is what makes Matthew 5 through 7 so important. Because we have what we're committing to concisely. And, and so some of you uh, might be thinking about uh, living like Jesus. What's it mean to live like Jesus? And you're sort of exploring. Do I want to live like Jesus? Do I want to be a follower of Jesus? And if you're exploring that, then the Sermon on the Mount is extremely important for you. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Because you can look at that and say, here's what Jesus actually wants me to do all the time. Am I really willing to do these things? And you consider the cost. And hopefully you say, yes, I'm all in. And and then you start investing. Some of you might be like ready to invest in the lifestyle and living like Jesus. You're investing your energy and your time and your resources into doing the kind of life that Jesus wants you to do. And that's why Matthew's Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are really important to you to memorize and to study. Because as you have committed, now you're really saying, okay, I need to do this, I need to be better at this, and I need to be better at this, and I can be better here. That's what... Now, there's a stage beyond that even, I think. goes from kind of exploring to really investing your life, and then there's really owning. I'm going to own the mission of Jesus. I'm going to own making disciples. And that's when we say, you know what, not only am I going to do it in my life, I'm going to help God. I'm going to, I'm going to see that other people become disciples. And we commit to helping other people grow spiritually. And some of you may be at a place where you're like, I don't think I could ever actually like be someone who helps other people grow spiritually. But I can tell you that God is not done with you until he has you in that level of ownership of this to where you are taking responsibility for the spiritual condition of others. Now, as we think about that ownership, like when we're really going to own this mission of Jesus, um, I want to go back before we get into our actual 
practical text for today and go back to one of the disclaimers that Jesus gave at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount because it frames a mindset. And you really have to own the mission of Jesus to, to, to do some of this stuff because it's not necessarily immediately beneficial to you. Some of the stuff we're going to see today that Jesus calls us to do seem to put us Kind of give us a disadvantage to others who are not willing to live like we live. Uh, But there's a greater frame of reference. There's a more important mindset that we need to have if we really own this stuff that will inspire us to actually do it. So, you'll see what I'm talking about here. This is Matthew 5.14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. City on a hill can't be hidden. People don't uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket or a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they would see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. Now, first Peter. Um, Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples and most influential disciples. He says it this way. Live such good lives among the pagans, among people who are far from God. That though they may accuse you of doing things wrong, and by that he, I think he kind of means uh, you, you know, you're living in a way that seems to put you at a disadvantage. And people are saying, That's, you're doing that wrong. But they're going to see that. And they're going to glorify God. They're going to see that difference and it's going to make them respond to who God is. Instead of how the world works. So the idea here, the, the underlying um, uh, mindset is what Jesus says, the world. You are the light of the world. And it's the same as when Peter says, do such good things among the pagans. The world for Jesus is people who are far from God. People who don't know him. And Jesus went about his life continuously mindful of the spiritual conditions of others thinking about how he could bring them into God's kingdom. How could he turn them on to God? And if we're really going to own following Jesus, we need to be very mindful of the world. The people at work, the people, the parents on our ball teams, kids at school, parents people in the neighborhood, playgroups, whatever. Mindful that many, many have no idea who Jesus is. The world. And they're looking to us. And our actions need to be done in such a way that it attracts people to God. Now, Before Jesus left his disciples, his last words with them were, Now you go into all the world, the world, and make disciples. You own this. This thing that I've been doing, now it's yours. You own it. You go make disciples. And so when we look at this stuff over these next few weeks, remember that it's not always going to put us at the advantage There are plenty who will look at us and say, why would you do that? That's dumb. Well, we do it not only to honor God, but also because the world is watching. And we need to own the mission of Jesus in a way that attracts people to him instead of turns people away from him. Okay, having said all that, and I hope you aspire 
to be owners of this. Let's look at Matthew 5.33. This is one of the most practical yet difficult teachings because it's like we're choosing to put ourselves at a disadvantage in the way the world works, and we'll talk about why. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, in the Old Testament, old culture, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. In other words, um, this is about oaths. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's the footstool, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair black or white. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, we could write all that off and kind of gloss over it because it's different from our culture. Like, we don't take a lot of oaths these days. I don't look to one of you and and swear by the city of Brunswick that I'm going to be at my office at 938, you know, whatever. That's not how we do it. But in Jesus' day and time, we're going to see that there's some similarities here. Um, And in other cultures in this world, they had a complex way of relating with each other, the authorities especially. And if you were in the club, you knew the lingo. And if you weren't in the club, you were at the mercy of their system. So let me give you an example. They may say, I swear by the gold of the temple. And you'd think that they're amping up, like, man, I really mean this. But what they're really doing is in their mind, well, the gold of the temple is temporary and God doesn't care about it, so it has no eternal value, so neither does what I'm saying to you. It's the equivalent of saying I had my fingers crossed. Okay, and, and, and these religious leaders would talk like this, and, and no one really knew how it wove together. So it was like their language was manipulative and deceptive, and they talked with their fingers crossed, and somehow they felt like that was okay. <clears throat> so Jesus says, my lifestyle, his lifestyle, if you want to follow me, you let your yes be yes and your no be no. Meaning... Be honest. So two implications we're going to talk through today from this. And the first is what I just said. If we follow Jesus, we have to be committed to be honest in our speech. Integrity, truthfulness, honesty. Yes means yes. No means no. Plain and simple. But as we apply this out, there are some real implications for our everyday life because it's going to mean that every now and then we're at a disadvantage because we're committed to the way of Jesus. Let me give you an example. So um, this is the season of life, and I whine about this like every week up here, that the Poindexter family is very busy. We live at the ball fields. Um, got about two more weeks of that, but sometimes we go and we run errands while my older son's in warm-ups. We'll run to the store to get an errand done or something like that while Spencer's doing his one-hour warm-up before baseball because there's no real action to watch. So the other day, a couple weeks ago, um, we were in Independence playing baseball, and uh, it was about 6 o'clock uh, p.m., and Spencer was warming up, so I ran to Drug Mart real quick. 
It was the drug mark at the, at the, drug mart at the corner of um, uh, Rockside Road and 21, um, which is, I think, Brexville Road. And it's really busy. It was 6 p.m. Cars, traffic, flying everywhere. Kids, people everywhere. Busy drug mart. I ran in, got what I wanted, went back to the car. I got plenty of time to get back to the field before the game starts. I'm mainly concerned about the activity in the parking lot. So I put the car in reverse, and I'm checking. You know, I got a backup cam. I got the rear view mirror. I got the side view mirrors, and I'm checking everything, and I'm backing up, and here's like what, you know, backing up slow enough so that, number one, I don't like if I hit somebody, I don't kill them, and, and number two, if, if, if it's their fault if they walk into me, you know, texting while walking or something like that, going slow enough that it's, and it's their fault, it's on them. Um, looking mainly at my driver's side mirror, because um, that's where people are walking from Drug Mart, and I'm mainly concerned about kids and, and, and people. And I'm backing up slow, and I hear that, you know, that crunch. It's like, oh, wasn't a person, but didn't know what I hit, so I pulled forward, and I got out, because I looked in the, like, the back of the, the rearview mirror, and I didn't see anything. And I got out. And, and there's this little old lady in the car. She was backing out, and I was backing out, and we were at angles, and it like did the thing where the corner of our car is kissed a little bit. And I didn't have any damage on my car, no big deal, but she had two of her panels had like little deep scratch dents in them. Um, and, and we called the police, and, and I, you know, are you okay? And she's okay. And the um, um, police officer gets there. And, and we had talked enough beforehand because I was like, were you pulling in or backing out? And she said, I was backing out. I was leaving. And I said, okay. And the police officer said, well, listen, I'm not going to cite anybody, no tickets. You guys can fill out reports. But um, you're both backing out, so it's just going to be a 50-50 thing, and you'll both be responding. And I didn't have any damage, so I'm like, you know, no big deal. Well, she's filling out. The police officer's helping her fill out her form, and I'm filling out my form, just kind of scratching it out. And I go hand it to him. He comes over a couple minutes later and said, what did you actually see? And I said, nothing, because it was all like below my, it was a little Chevy something or other car about that big. Um, And it was below everything. I was mainly watching the passenger or the driver's side mirror for people. And um, he said, well, she's saying that she backed out and was in drive moving forward and you backed into her now. And he gives me one of these. And, and he said, so you're probably going to be liable if that's the case. And have a good day. And that was that. And, and so I was on the phone with the insurance agent uh, later on. And, and uh, she said, well, this, and this is going to be one of those, you know, no big deal. It's just if you got no damage, it's, she backed into you and that's that. And they're, they're, you backed into each other, rather. And that's going to be one of those 50-50 things. And it's probably not even going to be worth anybody's deductible. And I said, well, here's the data point. Her police report's going to say that her story is she backed up and I hit her when she was in drive moving forward. And she said, oh, well, that's different. So here's the deal. If you saw anything, anything, it'll be word versus word. And both of you... Um, will only be liable for your own thing. It'll be word versus word, your word against her word. If you saw anything, anything. And I said, I didn't see anything. It was all below my mirror. 
So it's going to be her word versus your word, and your word is you didn't see anything. If you saw anything, and, and I knew at that moment, okay, this, this, is going to, this could cost me thousands. Who knows? You know, whatever the deductible plus raised rates. All I have to do is say, I saw her backing up. Those five words could save me thousands. Um, but at that moment, I know that Jesus says, Yes is yes, no is no. Um, I'm not allowed to be dishonest for my own gain. And, and it's like, you know, I, I know, I know. You don't get to be that old by making crazy movements in parking lots. <laughs> if it was some, you know, 16-year-old girl with a blinged-out cell phone, then maybe. <laughs> but anyway, I lose, Right? She wins, I lose, um, at least in the eyes of the world. But that's where this stuff, we have to decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. Or I'm going to do things that make sense to me. Um, in sales, there are always opportunities, I'm told, um, to fudge a little bit, which is another way to say lie, or to tell the truth and trust God. In returns, like shopping returns, we can lie a little bit about what was worn, about what was broken, about what was broken in the box. Who cares? It's overpriced anyway. All kinds of little um, kids eating meals at a younger age. There are all kinds of opportunities where we have to say, I'm going to be faithful to this teaching of Jesus, or I'm going to do things my own way. Let's talk for a minute about friendship with Jesus. Um, I wonder if part of lying is ultimately a trust issue with God. It's like we, it, we usually lie to either get something we want or to protect ourselves somehow. And those are things that, that that's a role that God wants. The provider, the giver, the protector. And I wonder if lying is an extra hurtful to God because in many ways what we're saying is I want this and I'm going to get it my way rather than trust you to provide for that or I'm afraid and need to protect myself rather than trust you to protect me. You know, I wonder if we lie in a sales role, if we're not really saying, God, i got to build my client base, and I'm not really trusting that you're going to do that. Or we lie to somehow get something if it's not saying, I want this and I don't. Or maybe we're saying, I don't really think you want me to have this, but I'm going to take it anyway. And either way, the, 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 there's, there's some deep 
relational trust things with us and God when it comes to lying. Now the second point of application here that springs from Jesus' teaching um, and this one is a little more subtle and requires, I think, soul-searching from all of us because ultimately what the religious leaders were doing is they were manipulating people. This was like a scheme thing that they had. They were telling half-truths, being um, inauthentic with their speech in order to move people a certain way. So really, this is also, in addition to honesty, I think it's a teaching about manipulation and scheming. And actually, the Bible is peppered full Proverbs and, and places like that of, of the importance of, of, of avoiding or the, the sinfulness of using our language in scheming to manipulate people. Now, I think, and I'm certainly at, at times, I mean, I don't think I'm a horrible schemer, master manipulator, anything like that, but, but certainly the temptation is there, and at times I'm guilty of things like this. Um, whether it's embellishing a story, I, I, I think the mark, one of the marks, one of the marks of a spiritually and emotionally healthy person is the ability to communicate in authentic ways, to ask for what you want straightforward, to offer feedback straightforward, to speak truth and love straightforward. But what sometimes happens with me when I'm in a bad place is maybe I'll shoot a passive-aggressive little barb or a backhanded kind of compliment that's really kind of a truth-and-just way of lashing out without being straightforward. Or sometimes maybe we tell some half-truths or only half of the truth to get something. Instead of truly being able to love the person and trust God enough to say what is true, do what is right, and let the chips fall. And so I think we really need to be critical of ourselves and how we speak and act, how much manipulating and scheming that we're really doing in, in, in fight to be straightforward and truthful. Let me do one last thing here because there, there are some gray areas in this and I'll talk you through in a minute. Be confession time in a minute for me. I'm going to read this set of scriptures. Um, these are both from John, who was Jesus' best friend and closest disciple. One comes from First uh, John. This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you, that we've heard from Jesus and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So the idea of Jesus being the light 
And then there's this darkness and the light shines on the... Oh, so so here's, here's John 3. Uh, this is just the Gospel of John. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds may be exposed. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly... What they have done has been done in the sight of God. So here's the concept here. Now, Oswald Chambers, great author, um, wrote a book called My Utmost for His Highest. And if you want a little daily devotional thing, like a 10, 15-minute thing, My Utmost for His Highest, there's an app. You can also um, online get it, or you can go to a bookstore and buy it or from Amazon or whatever, My Utmost for His Highest. Get the contemporary um, version for the better English, um, modern-day English Reading, But he talks a lot about the light of Christ, and this concept here is that when there's a gray area, you envision the pure light of Jesus shining on that. What does that do then? Do you feel exposed, or do you feel safe? Let me give you an example. You have a two-year-old, you're tired of the pacifier. Well, Aunt Such-and-Such had a baby, and we're going to give that to Aunt Such-and-Such, and now it's their baby's turn. Okay, you just freed your kid from the pacifier. Was that truthful, what you said? No. Is it a big deal? That, for me, is a gray area. So, you just light of Christ shining on that. Does it somehow expose an evil scheme for your own gain? I don't know. Other things that we do with our kids for fun and teasing and and joking around or whatever. That's not wholeheartedly, absolutely truthful. Light of Christ, I don't know. But that's a little exercise for me that helps me to evaluate. Let me give you a very real example. Um, And then you can like leave Polaris mad after this. It's your dishonest pastor. So... A couple of years ago, um, I was talking with someone who was leading an organization, and, and they said, um, if you'll be a part of this, you can move Elijah up a year early. No big deal. He can be a part of this even though he's not old enough. And I said, okay, I'll do that. He said, here's what I need you to do. I just need you to fill out this paperwork and put his age, that he's an age older than he is. And I looked at him. And he said, I'm the only one that sees this. I absolutely have the authority to let you do this. You're not being dishonest. I said, well, let me think about it for a couple years. Or not a couple years. Ha. <laughs> let me think about it for a couple weeks. That's probably God saying he should have thought about that for a couple years. So after a couple weeks, I thought, you know what? He's saying that I don't have to tell anybody anything dishonest. I'm telling him everything honest. This is just his internal paperwork for his own purposes. If that's what he wants, I'll do it. No big deal, and I did it. Now, total slippery slope, because that could then lead eventually to a place of, you know, the IRS and, uh, you know, fudging IRS documents with income and stuff like that. And uh, so it's a slippery slope. But that was one for me where I'm thinking, you know, light of Christ, biblical principles shining on this. I'm not really deceiving anybody. I'm telling the guy who makes the decision and anybody else, I don't have to lie about this. Is it okay? I, I, I think so. I may disagree with that. You may disagree with that. I may disagree with it a year from now. 
Um, but that was a little exercise for me because there's, there, there's things like this that are very real. And sometimes I go back and say, okay, if the pure and holy light of Jesus is shining on this, do I feel exposed or do I feel safe? And that can help us with some of the gray areas. But the underlying principle is honesty. And I think the main reasons is, number one, trust. We need to trust God to be the provider and to be a protector. And number two, the world. People who are far from God are watching. And if they see you in a foursome scramble on the golf course willing to take a birdie when you really had a par I think that stuff adds up and as they evaluate your commitment to Jesus and how real he is to you and the truthfulness of this Jesus thing it affects them and if we're going to own this we own it on their behalf so that they can see us and turn to Jesus And so that's why at times we put ourselves at a disadvantage when it doesn't necessarily benefit us immediately. All right, we're going to do one more song. I want to invite you to stand. And during this song, if there's anything you need to pray about, Jacqueline's over there. You're good, right? And I'll hang out over there. And during this song, if there's anything at all you need to pray about, just come on up. And we'll, uh, we'll pray together. Father, uh, thank you for being truth and light. And you, you, you could be anything. And you choose truth and light. And there is no darkness in you at all. And as we walk with you, I pray that your light would, would guide us more and more into your character. Would give us more and more trust for you. And, and God, we want to acknowledge that we trust you to be our provider and to be our protector. Help us to live in a way that brings glory and credit and honor to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray.